Good morning, Emmanuel. How many love Jesus today? You love him? Oh, you can do a little better than that. How many love Jesus today? You love him? Come on. Big shout out to Elk River, Lakeville, Maple Grove, Spring Lake Park, and today, many of you joining in your kitchen or in your living room, if you tried to stay in and you didn't want to get out, I'm happy to be together with the Emmanuel family. So many great things going on. I want to take a moment to say thank you from Jody and I. Just so grateful for all the cards of thank you from last week, and uh, truly, I mean, tears running down my face, just reading heartfelt thanks. You guys are the best in the world to pastor a church that we love. Like, we would go to this church if we weren't pastoring. We love, we love the people of the church. We love what God is doing here and so grateful for you and thankful for what God has done. In a few moments, we're gonna dive into week number three of Dear Friend. We're looking at the uh, first John. And uh, in fact, uh, when we get there, uh, uh, how many have your paper Bibles? Let me see. Hold up your paper Bibles. Now, I'm just gonna keep encouraging you. Get you a paper Bible if you haven't already, because digitally they can cancel stuff out. I mean, this isn't going to get canceled, all right? So make sure you have a paper Bible if you can get one. All right, now all of you have a digital one. You can hold one up too. Everybody put them up, wave them in the air like you just don't care. You love, there you go. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2 in just a moment. For, as we move into today's message, I want to share a story just a couple years ago uh, my son, Josiah, and I, and a very close friend, Monty Hip, went on a fishing trip to Alaska. And uh, it was an epic trip. Now, disclaimer, uh, I am not an avid fisherman. I am not an outdoorsman. My idea of a great trip somewhere is to stay at a Holiday Inn or something like that. So I'm not, I'm not an outdoorsman. But my son, Josiah, is. He loves to fish. And... Uh, and Monty set us up on this trip to go on, a, on the Kenai River to go fishing for salmon. And uh, it was an epic trip for us. We got to fly up there, and we got uh, in, and we stayed at the house we were staying at. But we had to get up at 2.30 a.m. and leave the house to go meet our guide, who uh, his name was Eric. He gave each of us waders to put on. How many of you have ever had waders? That's the equipment you wear when you're going to stand in the river. So we each were given a pair. He looked, he sized us up, and we got those, the equipment on. And then we jumped inside the, the, the uh, boat, and we took about a 15-minute ride through the channels out to the Kenai River that was rushing, so full of water and so full of fish. And we rode about 15 miles to find a spot on the shore, uh, which was a good spot to fish. And Eric knew where to go, found that spot, and parked the boat, and he helped us jump out of the boat safely and get into the water. And once in the water, he handed us each our rod, our fly rod, in the, and uh, he set us up, already had hooks on it, was already set up for us. How I many know that was very important for me? I needed somebody else to do that for me. We get out into the water, and then he trained us and showed us how to, to do it. And there was a, a special way to, to throw the, the pole in the, and the, um, this, the line, and we put it upstream, and then watch it, and we do a little half arc, and then do it again. And those fish, they were silver salmons that were running that day, that time of year, were just going, and they would catch it in the hook of their, in their mouth, and, uh, and you would catch just amazing amount of salmon. In fact, we all caught over eight each. Now, our, our, our guide 
was able to uh, throw some back because there was a fishing limit, and they're very serious about limits of how much you can catch, but we wanted to keep the biggest ones we could. And as we did, we would catch it, and the cool thing about the guide was I would reel the fish in, and he would take it off the hook for me. <laughs> it was awesome. He did everything for us, and, uh, and, and it was just an incredible shared experience between Josiah, our friend Monty, and some friends out on the river that I will never forget. Now, in light of today's message, there's some things that I want you to catch from this trip that really play nicely over the text in 1 John chapter 2 that we're going to be talking about. It parallels our salmon fishing trip on the Kenai. There's a guide who knows what you need in this journey ahead of you. Your guide will give you the equipment you need to survive the conditions of the journey. He knows how to overcome the real dangers around you. And the place the guide takes you is not a mistake. He chooses the location that is best for us. And if you listen to the guide and do what he says, there will be a reward. And finally, he won't leave you in the raging current. He will bring you home. Amen to that? The title of today's message is this, Supernatural Equipment for the End Times. Supernatural Equipment for the End Times. First John chapter 2, starting with verse 18, picking up where we left off last week. It says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. I'm reading from the NIV today mostly. I'll tell you when I'm switching versions a little bit. But John speaks of the last hour, the end times. The end times is kind of this prophetic, apocalyptic view in many people's minds. But in one sense, the end times began when Jesus ascended to the Father and initiated a brand new era. Jesus had left the gospel in the hands of his disciples. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out. And what did Peter do when he stood up to preach to the crowd? He quoted from Joel, which said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So the last days actually began at that time. And in one sense, that's what we've been living in since that moment. In another sense, there's a reality that, that Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, there's a condensed period of time where there's other activities that will occur. Perhaps you've read through Matthew 24, 25, and you've seen in there where Jesus is talking about the end times, and the end times will be uh, uh, cl calamitous, and they'll be full of tension, and, and it will be uh, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and sudden weather events and those kind of things. And uh, he says, this is going to happen. And when you see these things, he says, that's just the beginning of birth pains. I mean, no, birth pains are also contractions. Contractions, if you've ever been around somebody that's having contractions, don't get too close, you might get hit. There's pain involved, and there's intensity involved in that, and, and then there's a peace, and then the 
tension and the pain comes again. And then there's a peace. And then there's a tension that comes in. And all the while, the body, as it tightens, is moving a baby through the birth canal. When Jesus refers to the beginning of birth pains, he's saying that there's going to be times of tension, intensity, and then there's going to be some peace. And then there's going to be some more. And this is still not the end. But it's moving us toward the end. We're going somewhere. Turn to the person next to you and say, we're going somewhere. Now, Jesus said that people during this time would fall away. They would have faith. They would be a part of the church, if you will. But they would lose heart and they would give up and they would fall away. The pressure all around them would cause people to leave their faith. In a sense, he was saying it would be a crazy upside down world where truth is compromised and people have craziness going on on the inside. Now, take out the end times. General life will do that to you. Any parent will tell you raising a kid can cause you to go crazy. Especially when they're teenagers. Oh, I heard it. Come on. We'll have an altar call for you later on. There is a reality to life even for those that are having difficulty experiencing having a kid. In the pain of loss. Perhaps you've lost a loved one. And you go through ordinary life and it can grip you to a degree that you no longer want to try anymore. Anxiety can slip in. There has not been higher levels of anxiety than we've experienced in the last three years in America than we are right now. Anxiety is fear of the future, that gap between where I am and what the next step is, and I don't want to go there. And Jesus was saying, with all the pressures around, that on top of what you ordinarily go through, people are just going to lose heart and quit. They're going to give up. And Christians seemingly lose their confidence in that process. Perhaps you forget that Jesus still heals, that Jesus guides and he leads and he restores and he gives hope. But for the believers, even the very elect, Jesus says, might fall away. And all of that happening on top of what we go through with finances and health and family changes. And in that moment, 1 John chapter 2, John is saying now we're in those end times and there is antichrist or voices that try to get you to leave Jesus. Try to pull you away. You might think of the capital A antichrist as this end time apocalyptic figure that's going to try to rule the world. Many people have speculated on what that would be, when that would be, and how that would be. That's not the point of today's message. He talks about there are many antichrists, meaning the spirit of the age would be out there, just forces around us that would force us to think, I got to get out of this. I can tell you with parents right now, is it's different raising kids than it was 20 years ago. I mean, the amount of hell going after the next generation is ridiculous. 
trying to get kids to rethink who they are and their identity, giving them other options for what up is and down is, flipped it around, up is now down and down is now up. Scripture talks about woe to those who call evil good and good evil. It's, it's crazy times. Things involving a person's gender, things involving sexuality, things involving identity. Everybody out there is saying, do whatever you want. Let the kid choose what they want to do. But if you look at the Bible, the Bible talks about a parent's responsibility. It's to train up a child in the way they should go. Then they won't depart from it. It doesn't say when they're five years old, let them do whatever they want to do. No, your, your kid needs you as a parent to show them how to live, to show them how to walk. Doesn't mean you're not sensitive and caring and listening to their needs, but they, are, they don't know enough yet. Their brain is not developed enough yet. And we're giving those things over in society. And I would just say this as a church. Parents, you need to lean into what the Word of God says and ask for wisdom from heaven. And don't just go along with what everybody out there is saying. Because the end is death. The end is hopelessness and the end is pain. But Jesus gives us a way and he's the way, the truth, and the life. Can I get an amen to that? In this particular passage in 1 John chapter 2, John says in the New Living Version, verse 19, these people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. And when they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. He's talking about people that were with and they left. And, you know, we've had a little bit of that going on in the church world over the last three years. I don't think everybody that has left church is not meant to be in church. In fact, if you, it's been a long time and you're watching online right now, welcome home. Come on back to church. You don't have to feel shame whatsoever. You are welcome here. Come back to church. But I will tell you this, when you leave and the voices of the Antichrist get louder in your ears, they take over, those voices do. And you forget your first love. You forget the truth. And they've left. John is just simply saying they've left. They've left it behind. I know you know, when Jody and I first started at Emmanuel as the lead pastors, we encountered a new reality. And of course, it's the social media era and people have been involved in our church and people come and people go. People leave our church and they go to other places. And we had to go through a, a period of time where we're discovering our identity is in whether or not people stay at our church. <laughs> Especially when you look on Facebook and you see that they're shouting out their new pastor at another church. Which, by the way, I'm okay if they're in another church. They're transplanted somewhere. But I want believers to be planted in the house of the Lord. I remember a process that was Shirley Denyas, the founding pastors of the church, and she said, uh, you know, if they're meant to stay, they can't go. But if they're meant to go, they can't stay. She so just let it happen. And then bless them when they go so you can bless them when they come back. Amen. So I think as a church, we just need to recognize when people go, we still have a heart for them. 
And sometimes we need to intercede and to pray for people who are away. How many know somebody that's away from God that once was in church? I encourage you to pray for them. Ask God to get a hold of them, to knock the Antichrist voice out of their head and get them back on track. Let's move on. But, in verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I want you to read that out loud with me. You ready? But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have an anointing. <laughs> what is an anointing? Now, biblically speaking, there were three offices that were had to receive an anointing, um, an inauguration for, for their office or their work that they were in, priests and prophets and kings. Most notable were the kings. You remember in 1 Samuel when Saul was anointed with a flask of oil, and then David was also anointed. And that anointing was oil, but it represented something. So anointing was a symbol. It was a symbol of something else that was going on. That symbol was, is a person was authorized by God. The king would be authorized by, this is God's choice. They have God's stamp of approval. They're verified. They got a blue check mark next to them that they didn't play, pay Elon Musk for. They're verified, okay? Anointing was a symbol also that a person was equipped by God for the work. They were equipped by God for the work. In other words, whatever they had to do, they were given that equipment, that capability of doing it. For every day that they would serve in the office that they were in, they'd have exactly what they needed. And then finally, an anointing was a symbol that a person was empowered by God. That there was God at their back, if you will. So whatever a king was to do, whatever judgments that they would make, whatever decisions that they would have, that they would have the equipment, the capability of doing what God had asked them and designed them to do. So many of the Old Testament figures that you see, they, they did so underneath the anointing. That anointing symbolized that God was with them. And not only was it in that world, but there was also anointing that was kind of generic. Shepherds would anoint. They'd use oil. They would use it as medicinal purposes in the cultures of ancient history where they would, they would put oil on a wound so that it would heal. How many of you have ever used like Neosporin on a wound or something like that? Some kind of medication. So, so they would use that that way. And David references it in the most famous psalm of all, Psalm 23, you know, the one that starts with, the Lord is my shepherd. And in verse five, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is an interesting phrase, and there's many different aspects of anoint my head with oil. But I want you to consider that as a shepherd, David's out in the field. So sometimes when you're away from the crowd and you're taking care of whatever it is that you're called to take care of, crazy thoughts can come into your head. When you're alone, that's how many, many people can't sleep at night because of the crazy thoughts in their head. 
the anxiety, and they rolled around. David had so many of those throughout his life. He was overlooked. He was picked on by his brothers. Later on, as the king, he was anointed to be the king before he became the king because Saul was still in office. And Saul's throwing spears at him, sending armies after him to kill him. He's running for his life. And David, the shepherd king, would be able to say, man, I need some, I need some sense that God is with me. And this is when you can sing Psalm 23 and understand that he anoints my head, my thoughts with oil. I'm not crazy when I have God with me. I don't have to give up when I have God with me. When I feel insecure and alone and disillusioned, I don't need to get, I just need you to anoint my head. Church, you and I need to have our head anointed. We need to have our thoughts cleansed. In this day and age where truth is all over the place, and there's all kinds of forces trying to come in to, trying to direct our opinions and the, the thoughts and the intents of our heart. We need the anointing from heaven on our minds so that we make godly decisions for the assignments that he's given us. You anoint my head with oil. Of course, biblically speaking, all of the Old Testament look forward to one person that would be the anointed one, the Messiah and that was Jesus. Jesus the Christ means Jesus the anointed one. How many are thankful that he was anointed? He went all the way for us. While he lived on the earth, he did signs and wonders, and he walked in relationship with his Father and in the power of the Spirit. He stayed connected. He fought to stay connected. Because he saw that his anointing was directly related to his relationship to his father and the power of the spirit. If you want to have anointing on your life, you've got to fight sometimes to be alone with the Lord. Sometimes you've got to make sure that you're leaning in and touching base with God, listening to him. And if we look at the author John here in 1 John chapter 2, you need to recognize when he says that you have an anointing from the Holy One. He isn't just saying you had a moment where somebody put oil on your forehead. He's re referencing what his relationship as a disciple of Jesus was to Jesus. Because everywhere Jesus went, everything was awesome. It was like having Michael Jordan on your team. We win! Some of you think that LeBron is the GOAT. We got LeBron on your team. He doesn't always win, though. So, hey, you know. But here's if you're one of the disciples, you're walking and talking with Jesus, and everywhere you go, miracles happen. Multitudes are fed. He heals the sick. He notices people. He proclaims truth and justice to the powers of that day. Everything is great. Then Jesus begins to drop breadcrumbs to his disciples. And he says, listen, I'm going to die and I'm going to go away. And right about then, John and the rest of the disciples were like, oh, oh, who are we without Michael Jordan? I don't know if I can do this on my own. You're the fishing guide. You're the one that got me to the river. Jesus, you're the one that, that, that took the fish off the hook for me. 
Jesus, you're the one that put, you know, you picked out the waiters. You gave me the equipment to do this. I don't know if I can do this by myself. And Jesus says, you don't need to worry about it because I have another person, a helper, a counselor that will come along, another guide that will help you. His name is the Holy Spirit. And this is what John chapter 14, verse 15 says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. But you got to know him. And John emphasizes knowing and having relationship with Holy Spirit, with the guide. Because knowing the Holy Spirit equips us for the journey that we are on. What does he say in, in John chapter 16, verse 13? When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. There has to be that sense of relationship. So by the time we get back into 1 John chapter 2, you need to understand when John is saying, you have an anointing from the Holy One, he's doing it out of the context. You have a relationship with the living God through his spirit. That you're in rhythm with God. You're spending time with him. That you're, you're not only baptized in the spirit, you're walking in the spirit. Now, different authors had different ways of communicating the spirit. Paul would talk about the body and the gifts and all the gifts for the body. That was how Paul would speak of the spirit. But John's a little bit different. John is speaking about relationship and he's doing it in such a way as that, hey, listen, all I know is if you have relationship with the spirit, whatever you go into, the spirit gives you exactly what tool you need for the job that you're in. If you're going into a toxic environment at work or in your family, he'll give you the waiters so the water won't get in. If you're going into spaces where you don't know how to communicate to certain people and it seems like everybody else is smart and everybody else has got great ideas, he will give you the mind of Christ and the capacity to communicate. Because you're daily walking with the Lord, you don't need to be afraid. Even when the end times comes out, some of you are freak out people about all the news and what they aren't telling you and conspiracies. And some of those conspiracies are true. And you're like, what, what's going on? Listen, for the child of God, we should not be filled with fear about the end times. We're, yep. Hey, it's irreversible. The contractions are on. We're moving forward. Jesus is coming back. But we don't need to be afraid because he's given us his spirit and we can handle any and every circumstance he's called us to walk on through. Let's go on to verse 20. 1 John 2. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know what? The truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning 
remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and the Father. And this is what the, he promised us, even eternal life. You have an anointing and you know the truth. Church, we need to tuck in close to Jesus the way, the truth, and the life by his spirit. We need to remain in him. The anointing that we can receive from the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus and his truth. You can't even come to Jesus without the spirit. John said that earlier in the book of John, he said that the spirit convicts the world with regard to sin. You couldn't even have your eyes open without the spirit involved. Some of you are like, well, I'm not as anointed as Pastor Nate. Not true. You have the same Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has already reached out to you. The Holy Spirit is always available to you, just as he was to the disciples and the promise. And he poured out his spirit on all flesh, everyone, sons and daughters, men and women, boys and girls. It's for everyone. And if we remain in the Holy Spirit, he will give us the supernatural equipment we need for these days. People are going to try to lead us astray, but we need to have that equipment on so we can just say, talk to the hand. Nope. Not going to do that. Not going to go that way. I'm going to stay true to what the Spirit of God is telling me. You have an anointing. You have an anointing. Repeat this after me. Say, I have an anointing. Repeat this after me. Say, God has anointed me. Turn to the person next to you and say, God has anointed you. Church, I'm very serious about this. To make it out there requires you to embrace your calling for the season and the station of life that you're in. But you don't understand, Pastor Nate, what I'm going through. Right. I, I don't understand everybody's experiences. What I do know is whether you're a young adult that is totally confused and disillusioned by authority, and you're hearing so many different thoughts about deconstruction and all kinds of things, and you've got your own pain, even though you're going through that, the anointing will get your head straight. You can have an anointing if you lean in and listen to the Spirit. He will talk to you. I know that there are some that are going through just unbelievable private internal pain, in your own head, and your own heart. Emotionally, you feel lost. You feel split apart. You don't know how to take another step. And I'm just saying this to you. You have an anointing for the season that you're in. Young and old alike, married and single, no matter if you've got kids or you wish you had kids and you didn't get them, and it seems like it's so hard, I just want you to know that God has given you anointing. You can do this moment. You were born for such a time as this, and you need to take up your responsibility, your calling, and just simply say, I am anointed for this moment, not because I'm good enough, but because I have supernatural equipment from the Holy Spirit to make it through this season of my life. Come on, somebody. I can do this. Mm. Let's go on. He says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received 
from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Let me just mention for a moment the verse 27 has been misinterpreted by many people. I don't need anybody to teach me. Now, some people have taken that and their own insecurity leads the way. I don't want to hear from anybody else. Nobody has to teach me. God's word says it. That's not what John is saying. John is saying when you hear from and learn from different people, the spirit of God will help you discern the real from the counterfeit. This is the most informed culture of all time. Facts are that the majority of you have heard a whole bunch of preachers other than me. There's all kinds of voices out there. And even within Christianity, there's different people that are trying to say different things about the scripture. Change what it means. Well, that's old, or that's superimposed, or that's patriarchal, or whatever they want to throw on it. And whatever, and if you listen to teaching on it, or Holy Spirit stuff, that was only for the apostles. And they want to they take that, and they want to say, hey, stay away from that. Be afraid of, of Pentecost, and be afraid of different things. But I'm just telling you this. If you know the truth, when you knew Jesus, and you take your questions to the Lord... The guide will show you how to live, what the real is from the counterfeit. If you're praying in the spirit and you're listening to what God has to say, you don't need anyone to tell you, you'll know. You'll sense it in your partnership with the Holy Spirit. He's not saying that you don't need to learn. He's saying that the spirit of truth will help you discern. And his anointing, his guidance, his empowerment will confirm what is real and not counterfeit. We need to lean into the spirit and receive his anointing. Let me bring it back to the parallels of this text to my fishing trip to Alaska. And I'll just give you five things to take away from this. First is this, there is a guide who knows what you need for the journey ahead. There is a guide, you have help right now. Secondly, your guide will give you the equipment you need to survive the conditions of the journey. He knows how to overcome the real danger around you. Three, the place the guide takes you is not a mistake. He chooses the location that is best for us. And four, if you listen to the guide and do what he says, there will be a reward. And finally, he won't leave you in the raging current. He will bring you home. He will bring you home. The last two verses, verse 28 and 29. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know what that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. I love that. So when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed. That's how I want to be. Would you stand with me today, church? Each of our locations.
If you have yet to give your life to Jesus or you once walked with him and it's time to turn around and come back to him, I just want to give an opportunity right now. You can know Jesus right now. You can give your life to him. You can be made new. Not because you're perfect. There's nothing you can do. But Jesus already went to the cross. You believe in your heart that he is Lord. Confess with your mouth that Jesus was raised from the dead. You will be saved. You can have that prayer right now. And I don't want to move on before we go anywhere to today's service. I just want to give you an opportunity. If you need to give your life to Jesus, just close your eyes all across the room. You say, that's, if you say, Pastor Nate, I need to give my life to Christ today, or I need to come back to him, just put your hand up and say, that's me. That's me. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Several hands. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. 14, 15, 16 people saying yes to Jesus, coming back to him even now. Come on. Come on. I want to lead you in a prayer that you can pray out loud, but mean it from your own heart. And I just believe that Jesus will make you new right now. So just repeat this prayer after me and everybody else you can join right in. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth died on the cross for my sin. Then you rose from the dead, and I know that you're alive. Today, I surrender to you. Please make me new. I'm yours for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Somebody give the Lord some praise in the house, amen, amen. Each of our locations at the end of the service, our pastors will help you if you just gave your life to Christ, taking next steps. But before we do that, we're going to anoint everybody that wants anointing today. I just believe it's time for us to anoint everybody for the journey that you've got outside these doors. I'd like to ask all of our elders, pastors, and those that are going to pray in prayer teams, come forward. We've got at each of our locations today, we're going to pray for you, and I'm super excited it's not going to be long. This is not one of those end time Shundai prayer moments. This is all, all I want from each of our teammates is we're going to anoint you on the forehead with some oil, which is just a symbol like I read to you earlier. And we're going to anoint you in the name of Jesus and believe that you can be authorized, equipped, and empowered to do what God has designed you to do when you walk out these doors, that you can do this. And we're gonna believe that God can do it. And I can tell you my own life, I can take you to moments when, when our, our son Jeff was sick and had croup and his throat was closing up and I was rocketing him and I had to take him down to the hospital or in the emergency room. And I remember just going, I, this is outside of the scope of my control. And I began to pray in the spirit and just say, God, this is, this is a son you've given to me, and I know that I'm anointed by you, and I pray in Jesus' name that you would touch my son. And of course, his throat began to open up, and it doesn't matter if it's bacteria or virus or whatever the cause was. I just believe there's supernatural capacity to do what God has called us to do if I accept who God has called me to be. And I'm just challenging you to not be a victim any longer, to step up and be the man or the woman of God that God has called you to be, to receive that anointing and step out and walk in it. Doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect, you're gonna fall down, but listen, 
God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He expects us to rely on him. When you fall down, call out to Jesus. When you step out into the flesh and you're not walking in the power of the Spirit, you know the results of that. So get back in alignment with what God has called you to be and get in alignment with what he's doing in your life and ask for his anointing. So while we worship today, I'm just going to ask you to step out of the aisle in the balcony in Spring Lake Park. We've got prayer teams in the back of the, the balcony if you want to receive anointing. If you want to step out and come down and receive anointing, we're going to anoint everybody that wants to be anointed today as we worship. Father, do your work. Anoint your people, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into community, or to join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.